are we the baddies? Yeah. Are we the baddies? Yeah. I was watching it and I'm like, yeah, 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 etc. The only way that they could redeem this is if the Vatican Church was evil all along. Like if it was the full metal alchemist situation like that. Emily, I got good news for you. Yeah. <laughs> History. Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified. The show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the Paramount Plus series that finally figured out how to bring millennials to the Catholic Church. Make it X-Files. It's evil. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley. And with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary. My co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? When I said I wanted a procedural without propaganda, I didn't mean do Catholic church propaganda instead. <laughs> you got to be more specific. That monkey's paw is just counting down there. Right? Oh, um, I, I, that was a real monkey's paw. What a... <laughs> deeply problematic show that is so completely my shit <laughs> oh my god it's and the cinnamon roll of cenobites our co-host emily martin how are you tonight emily i'm sorry i don't i'm still trying to figure out how it ben is right king bradley king yeah, is oh yeah sports name <laughs> y'all missed me blowing emily's mind with some full metal alchemist facts but good news is uh full metal alchemist is relevant to this conversation sure full metal alchemist is relevant to every conversation it's one of the greatest stories ever told yeah um tell this all this time stay tuned to find out whether it will be devil man or neon genesis evangelion we reference next but our guest tonight our queen of tv screams editor and educator alicia whitley alicia how are you I'm delighted with Queen of TV Screams because I do enjoy television. I love that. Yeah, I will wear that crown. We need to get commissioned some like us as like B movie monsters and like our various, you know, scene of like cinnamon roll of Cenobites, like (laughs) plastered in like that horror movie poster font. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. You know what? I think I know what to get y'all for Christmas. (laughs) We only talked about the first three episodes of the series. It does have three seasons at this point. It is quite a bit to get through their hour-long episodes. The show is called Evil. It sounds like a strange thing to say. Most of the things we are watch are, in some respect, evil. This one is called Evil. If you haven't seen it on your TV, it's because it's on fake TV on Paramount+. Plus. There are some shows out there that I absolutely love. But man, do they got some garbage SEO. Warrior is one of the best shows of the modern era. You can't just Google Warrior and then be like, oh, yeah, here's fucking Andrew Koji kicking ass. You got good taste. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about the show itself. It is created by Michelle King and Robert King, who are also the creators of The Good Wife and The Good Fight, which is also a Paramount Plus thing that is sort of a sequel series, spinoff series from The Good Wife. It is written largely by the two of them. In the second episode, we also have Niala LaBeouf writing with them. And the third one is also co-written by Rockne S. O'Bannon, who you may know as the creator of Alien Nation and Farscape, among other things. 
It's a real nerd nerd, that guy. Uh, you may know who Gene Roddenberry is, but very few people know who Rockne S. O'Bannon is. So our, our lead is uh, Katja Herbers, who plays Kristen. Uh, she is a psychologist slash doctor in like the comic book sense, and she is a doctor of everything. Uh, she's a because fake, fake scientist. She's fake. She's a fake scientist. Yeah, because she Let's has doctor at the around. beginning of her name. She knows a little bit about everything. She's um, introduced giving the fucking replicant test from Blade Runner. Yeah, she's got <laughs> a PhD in something. Yeah, and she's got a PhD in doctoring. The two other members of our like primary investigative cast are uh, David Acosta, who's played by Mike Coulter, who you may know as Luke Cage, who is yeah, a a man studying to become a priest who used to be a lot of other things. And uh, we also have, of uh, The Daily Show and other stuff, Asif Manvi playing Ben Shakir, who is a uh, and- sort of the tech guy, the man in the chair guy, also sort of our resident atheist, who also interestingly has like a very devout Muslim family that like sort of pops in and out of the show. And when Jeremy says Daily Show and other stuff, we do mean the live action Last Airbender movie. Don't I, I, I can't. I don't blame him for that. You know, I know God no, either. But he was in it. If somebody was like, "Do you want to be in a live action Admiral movie?" Admiral Zhao himself. <laughs> yeah, of the Last I Airbender. Love I love awesome It would be hard to turn down. All three are great leads. Like it's a delightful trio. The real wild card of this show is Michael Emerson, who you may know as. The creepy guy from Lost or the creepy guy from that other show with Jesus, who is playing Leland Townsend, who is sort of the, I don't know, avatar of evil. He just sort of hangs around and does evil shit for the hell of it. Well, he works for evil. He's an employee of evil. Yeah, he's on the evil health plan. Exactly. Yeah, He's more of a he's sort of like a freelancer for evil. You know, I'm sure we will get into Way more of Leland in our how does this show deal with mental health chapter. Yeah, we also have Kristen's daughters. There are five of them. So many daughters. They are all sort of one character that talks in a lot of voices. Sorry, there's four of them. What an insane choice for the producers to be like, yes, I need four sets of child actresses in every episode. That's an wild amount of child actors to willingly put in your program they're easily my favorite part of the show we also have uh her mom who was played by christine lottie who uh you may know as a poor cast member of chicago hope for like 100 years come for the demonic mystery stay for the sexy grandmas oh my god the gilf she's a gamelf she is a straight up gamelf. Yeah, like she's so good. That, like, that does not get tuned down as the rest of the good, good. On, I will say. So yeah. one of the things that I kind of enjoy about the Kings is their use of these um, actors. So Mike Coulter was also in The Good Wife and The Good Fight playing a drug dealer with a heart of gold. Wallace Shawn is going to be in some episodes later on and is also in both The Good Wife and The Good Fight playing a kind of an evil minion. And the actress who plays Cheryl, whose name I'm blanking on right now. Christine Lottie. Yes, thank you. Is also in The Good Wife. And I think it comes back in The Good Fight as like a hard ass lawyer type. 
just as sexy in that show or those shows as she is in this one. Yeah, I will say you were saying good things about the kings that are sort of relevant with Christine Lottie is and this is true very much in the other shows, even more so perhaps is that they uh, don't shy away from like women who like sex, care about sex and often older women who are sexually active and have like personalities that are complex and motivations that you can't always guess at. You know, they, they use older women, older actresses really well. We do also have as a sort of recurring uh, very much in these first three episodes, Kurt Fuller, who plays Dr. Kurt Boggs, who is the, the psychiatrist to Katya. That actor has been in just a ton of stuff. Like you've, oh, yeah. you've seen him in everything. Kurt Fuller's um, like IMDb list is as long as your arm. Yeah. Even if you have yeah. very long arms. I mean, we're talking literally like four decade long career at this point. Yeah. And, and so the basic what we're talking about is the first three episodes, episode one, which is called Genesis One. It is about sort of the bringing together of this team who, you know, we have our psychologist, our priest and our tech guy who all work for the Catholic Church by the end of this episode whose job it is to go around and investigate various miracles of the good and bad sort, both possessions and positive miracles, various things that can't be explained in the same way that that was Mulder and Scully's job in the X-Files, but their job is like they report to the Catholic Church and they they try to sort of like prove that these things are or aren't true by investigating them. Uh, the first episode, we're introduced to the concept and we meet a sort of serial killer who may or may not be possessed and we also uh, get introduced to Michael Emerson's character, who is the the baddie who will be recurring throughout this. Did Ben Linus is back, baby, on this one? Hell yeah. And this time he's got no subtlety at all. Never yeah. knew what angle Ben was playing. Fucking Leland's only got one angle and he's going to fucking tell it to you right away. Yeah, yeah. I keep calling him. Evil Ben is Asif Manvi, or and then there's yeah. Lost Ben because I can't ever remember that. Well, Lost Ben is Evil Ben, and Evil Ben is right. Good Ben, so exactly. it's very easy to keep track of. That's the thing. Having yeah. seen three episodes, can I expect that every episode is a slight variation of they are presented with a new sign of the divine, which they then investigate and through twists and turns determine that. They find the logical, non-divine explanation. But throughout this investigation, they always stumble upon something that they can't explain by the end of it. Which is the X-Files, right? Yeah, this is the X-Files, but with angels and demons. Yeah, this was like, ah, we figured out it was racism, but we never did solve those angel photos. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you calling this? You're calling this the Chi-Files? The Cross-Files. Yeah, the first one sort of resolves with Oh, he's not crazy, but Leland has been feeding him these things to say about our main characters that can make them think that he's got, you know, divine information he shouldn't have otherwise, and sort of these ways to act and react to seeming to be crazy. He's doing it to try and get off for these murders. Leland is just trying to do it to get off. And I, the, I just want to say, he's not on. trying to act crazy. He's, he's trying, trying to, to act, act specifically not crazy. He's trying to act possessed. Yes. Here we yeah. go. He is a very sane mass murderer. Thank you very much. He's not in control of his faculties. Yeah. The second episode is called 177 Minutes. It is about a girl who is in the morgue when she suddenly comes back to life after having been dead for 177 minutes. There's also an image they find on the video footage that there's an image of a woman who died 
only a short while, while earlier on the film looking quite angelic. Uh, it turns out the real villain is racism because they didn't try to resuscitate her long enough and she had COPD and a variety of other things. It gets very housey at the end. That one's not yeah. my favorite episode. And then uh, the third episode is Three Stars, which is about a theater producer who might be possessed, is acting strange, doing lots of weird stuff, and also it seems sweating blood. Oh, and it turns out his digital assistant is possessed, actually attacked. Actually, maybe there is some sort of horrible demon involved because when Asif Madhvi takes it home, it possesses their digital assistant and knows things about his sister that nobody should possibly know. And that we're not actually clear on what they are by the end of the episode. And then he throws it in the trash compactor and runs off. It's a season-long mystery. Also, that episode features just a wonderful guest appearance by John Glover. Also, yeah. it turns out that part of the sign of his possession was that he was bleeding blood, or he was sweating blood. Nobody makes yes. me bleed my own blood. People do tend to bleed blood. That's usually not a sign of the divine. <laughs> I mean, he was sweating blood. And that actually just turned out to be what, like, Infected hair plugs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, God. And that's why I say, like, there's elements of the show that as a procedural, like, I like it. Like three episodes in, I like what the reveals have been. I like that it was like, oh, she wasn't fucking resurrection. Y'all are just racist and didn't give her CPR long enough. So it seemed like she was dead for a long time. I like that. Like, that's the kind of like I like the deductions. And again, I like that. He's comparing fucking like footage of the surgeries and noting the different timestamps. Like this is very much scratching this like gothic detective mystery procedural that has very much been missing in my life since Prodigal Son got canceled. I yeah, do no. love a procedural. I do love a, a a whodunit as well. I think you talked about like not wanting copaganda in your procedurals. I remember when Gotham came out and I was so excited because I thought I was going to get Law and Order with like super villains. Yeah. I wanted a villain of the week, like solve the case. And it wasn't that. And this feels a lot more like Law and Order (laughs) with the Catholic Church. Like, yeah, I'm going to get a a bad guy of the week and you're going to solve it. And, you know, there will be some questions, but a big problem I have with this show. And maybe it is fixed by just them being like, oh, we've got like a friendly rabbi who helps us out from time to time with some stuff like. Yeah, because like what I can buy and why I think this show kind of sets me on edge in a way that other Christian mythology shows don't is that at least the three episodes we watched, it's not, oh, the power of faith, just human faith is what fights the devil. It's like. The Catholic Church is what fights the devil. Like, not only that Christianity is correct, but this one specific branch of Christianity is correct. Yeah. So, and here's the other thing about that. Like, Coulter, you could be a priest and still get your fuck on. You don't gotta do this. Not in the Catholic Church. No, but But that's that's, it only works in a world where it's like... If he was in Britain, this would all be fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's where... I kept following what was that it's like, oh, just us Catholics are the line between good and evil. So don't you worry about that other shit we're doing. It's worth it to be the wall between us, you and the devil. Get some imams and rabbis in there. Just make it like the power of human faith is what's fighting the devil. And I'm on board. 
You just wanted to be a three guys walk into a bar joke. So what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> yes. Emily, what were you going to say? The writing in the show is good. I only watched the first two episodes, but I did appreci- appreciate the writing in the show and the sort of the way that it rides the line a little bit where it's it is suggesting very heavily that the Catholic Church is the wall. Now, the fact that there are Muslims, you know, I feel like there is room for this show to be a little bit more inclusive in that way. Now, Alicia, I know you've seen the whole show and then mm. have I have had some suspicions about some redeeming elements to the plot. Yeah, like how many spoilers um, do you want? I'm well, you can spoil if there's a friendly rabbi. There who is comes a in. friendly rabbi. Yes. Yeah, a friendly rabbi. He's not he's not in nearly enough episodes. Like yeah. I would love to see more of the friendly rabbi come back and other faith traditions, other paranormal activity from other faith traditions are represented in the show. Well, so there that, are gen that show up. That goes a long way. Yeah, like that, okay, yeah. Okay. there are other like yeah. ghosts and goblins and and ghouls from other faiths that also show up, which comes up later as like when they are asking the question. Okay, so Jeremy, you didn't mean, mention George, but we'll Kristen keeps getting George. visited oh by this God, demon George. named George. And her psychiatrist, Kurt, suggests that well, maybe it's something that you saw. Like, this is something that your subconscious is doing and it's a dream. And, you know, her daughter has the same experience. She describes George exactly the same way. And he's like, maybe you saw a video. And then later it turns out to be, maybe, perhaps, they shared, like, seeing this one scary thing and now they're both dreaming about it. But (laughs) it's not that the Catholic Church is the wall between good and evil. It's more like they're the ones who most people come to for exorcism stuff. And that's who we're working with. But they also go and visit like other people who are dealing with other evil things as well. Yeah, because we're we're looking at and this is something that really I felt like was set up as a baseline is that we are starting with a Catholic paradigm with the characters. It's difficult because in a lot of cases shows will represent this as sort of red people are visited by a demon and they're you know they have a particular way that they act towards a demon and then we just assume that that's how you act towards demons the same way that we assume that people in horror movies have a particular way they act if somebody like gets out of the the routine say like instead of running upstairs they turn around and kick the killer in the balls or at least try to you know we have a different that's how you story. get the first screen movie yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I know we're not talking about Scream, but I miss when people would just like push Ghostface over and you'd like fall over a lamp. Well, yeah, and that's Ghostface is too badass nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm thinking about how these situations play out. And it is all very within a paradigm of people who see the world in this way. Mm-hmm. And there is some suggestion that because they are given to see the world in that way, that is why they are having that experience. Yeah, so that's where that's where it kind of gave the very like Vatican-based story a little bit of leeway. Where I'm like, okay, so these are people coming in that have this idea of Catholicism. The fact that Kristen, so Kristen was a former Catholic. We find out that out from George, her demon visitor. George is like, I got, I don't know how I feel about George because I'm like, George is too cockney to be scary. But too sexual assaulty to be whimsical. Yeah. And that's, there's some areas there that I, I, I'd like to go into that. But um, the demons have power over someone who believes in them because they believe in them. Just like the faith 
situation that you've discussed. Now, George, I, I, very nasty. Yeah. But yeah, so Kristen is a former Catholic, as and that's revealed by George, right? But it is kind of telegraphed to the fact that all four of her children have Catholic schoolgirl outfits. And there's definitely a subtext. And I think that it's kind of smart how the subtext is expressed. But her PhD, her doctor quality, a lot of that is kind of fakey fake. Like, it's not good science. That sounded um, like someone who likes mechanical magazines. Yeah. Well, this 20 questions thing to determine like how well you can trust somebody. Like I have a lot to unpack there. I mean, they they do just enough of it to where you can be like, well, I don't really know what it, what the other questions are. So I can't say whether it's, you know, good or bad or, yeah. or what they're what they're doing. There's a lot of that in this show. I feel like it's very hand wavy. It's like, again, you know, stuff. If I could have one real request for this show. I want this show to go on long enough that they start getting into like late supernatural levels of like crazy nonsense bullshit. Like I want to get this show to get to like season eight. And they're like, oh, watch out here. Kristen, like your daughters are now the four horsewomen of the apocalypse. Where does Luke Cage's gay angel boyfriend show up that he has to inevitably kill? Really? So that's not, there's no gay angel boyfriend. <laughs> I, assume that's, I assume that's the, a nun who was either a love interest or a motherly figure. I just saw Alicia's face and, and I was no, like, like I don't want to, I don't want to give away, I don't want to give away too many spoilers. So okay. I will say that, is it Andrea Martin? Is that? The yeah. Actor? Andrea Martin is not in this first season. And yeah. from what I've watched with you is my favorite part of the show. Yes. She's the sort of like, and she okay, kind of George disappears and she shows up and it's almost like, yes, that's the character that we need. She's like a weird nun who wears big thick glasses and makes all of the patriarchy uncomfortable with just her assuredness and her like, yes, I, I absolutely talk to God. And like, she looks at, Luke Cage and she's like priest Luke Cage you're doing bad stuff and I, I know because she can see demons and yeah and there's this one episode where she's put on trial because lost Ben Leland comes to work for the church and she won't work with him and she keeps intentionally trying to hurt him because he's evil good for her and he good tries to get her he tries to say that she's insane because she speaks to she can see demons and stuff and she's like, well, if we're Catholic, aren't we supposed to believe that these things are actually real? So why should I be insane? Because I'm telling you, like, I can see them in corporeal form. And like, so that's a huge issue about whether or not David David defends her. But it's a huge issue about whether or not he believes her. But to go back to your point earlier about how what people believe in or don't believe in influences the way that they experience the world and what this says about the show like the show kind of spends a lot of the first season being kind of ambiguous or ambivalent about whether or not the supernatural exists mm -hmm. the supernatural clearly fucking exists right and then by yeah. season three it's like cheryl is actually working for the same evil company that leland is working for and they are doing evil things and there are like actual demons that people can see like her company is responsible for making sure people doom scroll like those types of evil things. Oh, God. Uh, they're, oh. She's responsible for making sure that Bitcoin gets bought and sold. And like Cheryl God. becomes like 
the person pulling social media levers to make the world a little bit more evil. And here's the thing, though, is that the second that they were like social media allows the demons to connect to each other to make sure that people do bad. And I'm like, now that they the Vatican is like, fuck Twitter. I'm like, Twitter ain't so bad. <laughs> it's like, no, Twitter still no Twitter still bad. Let's not, let Twitter off, bad. let's not let Twitter off the hook. I'm not. Yeah, Leland finds people to do evil things by going on message boards and looking for unhappy people to kind of prey upon. But there is one episode where David sees an angel and the angel is black Mm -hmm. in his vision. And four other people say that. And like the church won't believe them that this is an angel vision that they've seen because they all describe her as having dark skin. So that's like a huge issue of they deal with issues of racism within the church, you know, like out of the church. I can discovered racism in the Catholic Church. Someone call the 1200s. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking spotlight over here. But, you know, I had a pastor growing up. My pastor used to say that, like, people spend a lot of time blaming the devil for all of the stuff that humanity just does. We like to say, oh, evil made me do this or the devil made me do that when it's really just us being terrible. And that kind of question is something that the show plays with because it's a procedural plays with okay but that question can't be played as well with as lucifer did where a lot of lucifer's characters motivated by fuck you stop blaming me for all the terrible stuff you do i would like love lucifer i would like lucifer more except like i love lucifer lucifer is a very mythology show like i watched all of it show i watched all of lucifer and there was just no like main girl had like I don't even remember Claire. Main girl had, had nothing. Name? Main girl had nothing. She's nothing. the worst. Main She's girl. a total Bella Swan. She wishes she was fucking Beckett on <laughs> Castle. I didn't watch any any of the Lucifer show. I've read the comics. Not similar. They're not, not similar at, at all. That's what was my, so, my main issue? Yeah, I was really like, I was like, character. this is Mazakine. I mean, this is the same Mazakine. This is Maze. Okay. No, That's Lucifer the TV show feels like a comedy sketch of yes. adapting the comic. Yes. But it is still a really fun mythology mystery procedural in its own right. Honestly, like, if I could take the writing of this show, the shots of this show, like they love playing with symmetry. Like this is one of the most beautiful TV shows that I have enjoyed looking at. I love the way they do the angles. If I could take some of the like, writing and acting and like add in the world building of lucifer yeah i I would have as a show definitely try to sometimes paper over its weaker writing by just cutting to a scene of tom ellis singing a cover song on a piano (laughs) and you know what it fucking works every time. Tom Ellis yeah, saying something cheeky. Yeah, Tom Ellis <laughs> would just pop his shirt off, say something cheeky. I'd be like, oh, I don't even know what the fuck I was complaining about. Now, this show if we're going to compare again. Lucifer to this show, I do want to compare the depiction of characters with children because I love, and I know not a lot of people do, I love the way the daughters are written in this show. Like, they always are all talking all over each other. They're always vying for Kristen's attention in one way or another. 
they're always bickering with each other or fighting with each other, but they are a very important part of who she is as a character. And I hate when shows have parents that have these kids that show up for the plot and then disappear. <laughs> like, you know, not considering oh, yeah. what's like, did yeah. you have a kid? You are never going to forget that Kristen is a mom in this show. Like, uh, I think we call that, I think we call that the Ross effect. Yeah. The, the thing that I really like about the kids yes. in this show is that they are all written for, uh, and then they all deliver their lines at the same time. So, like, you miss half of it, but occasionally you catch something and you're like, hey, what the fuck is she talking about? They're just like a child shaped maelstrom. Yeah. And like they're all sort of they're all sort of going on and playing off of each other in a way that's almost impossible to do on a TV show or a stage or anything like crosstalk like that. Both writing it and getting actors to do it in a way that works is is incredibly difficult. And that's something they do very well in this. And um, this show and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yes. You heard yes. it here. And, you know, as the series progresses, you learn more about each girl on her own. But like they do very much feel like siblings. Yeah. So, yeah. Kristen's mom, the Gamilf, she's definitely evil. She like just embraces evil wholeheartedly. That's she so is not sad. good. Good she for is, her. No, 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 me, no, no, not sad. No, no, no. She's not like a victim of evil. She's like, I am making a choice and this is the choice that I want to make. But I don't want, she's not, I, I don't think that it would be like, do you think she's going to get less sexy when she turns evil? Come on. Well, no, it's but it, sexy. Just, it feels more, I don't know. It feels like, I guess it, it's, it depends on how the execution is because her character felt interesting because she was the grandma of these kids and the mother of this Catholic girl, you know, like yeah, she's not Catholic. Yeah, I figured as much, but like, I, I don't know. It feels like her, her being evil like actually evil to me is kind of a cop out because she's so cool you know it's so well, like i think like, what you have here is that like this show seems to be like good people can have shades of gray but evil is capital e evil yeah. i mean it is literally like fucking benjamin linus going like i'm gonna make innocent i'm gonna lock up innocent people and let guilty people go free <laughs> <laughs> like, it's only when you because are... of michael emerson saying it that it works i feel like yeah like... yeah okay cheryl is one of my favorite characters despite the fact yeah. that she is like she actively chooses like oh you're evil okay cool i'm nothing in. you're not make you're not saying anything that makes me like the character less you know there she's like what do you want what do you want what do you want me to do? You want me to like make people roll? Okay, I can figure that out. She's on that that Eartha Kit shit that I want to believe. Uh, it's giving me Maleficent realness. It's, it's yeah, giving it's, it's giving me Eartha. Yeah, there's not evil evil. Leland keeps thinking that he's going to outsmart these girls, and he keeps just getting like he do, they don't react in the way that he would expect. Leland doesn't actually seem good at this. That's what's interesting about Leland to me is that he's sort of like the objectively evil version of Ghostface, like we were talking about earlier, that like he has this like these evil machinations and he's got a plan and everything, but he is not beyond being just like tripped up by some little girls. And you know, he will he will take a frying pan to the face occasionally. Like that's just part of part of his whole situation. I mean his very first scene, he just gets fucking punched in the throat by Luke Cage and tries <laughs> to laugh it off like, yep, that's totally what I meant to happen. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, well, I, all the stuff that you saw, that you told me sounds exciting. 
I'm still like, mm, I have to see it in context. To really and it takes like... forever to get there. Yeah. The one complaint I have about the show is that because it's a procedural, it is plotting a little yeah. bit. And on one side, I'm like, okay, I'm if as long as the monster of the week is interesting, like as long as I could be into that, then sure, whatever. Like the meta plot, you know, we'll see where the meta plot goes. Because I see George like in another series or in another movie, George would be a really interesting just kind of manifestation of somebody's guilt. With the discussion of angels and demons, you know, I find it very interesting because it is of kind of a very cartoon way of people struggling with their own guilt and their own aspirations you know, using that template, which is a very basic template, you know, this black and white template to start adding colors to. We have this chessboard of angels and demons and people trying to find a, a moral path and do right, you know, make the right decision through life about, you know, what, what things are. But the thing is that the chessboard isn't, it, it, it's not flat. The chessboard is not two colors in, in real life. So how do we like adapt that? into I mean, four-dimensional chess. Yeah, 40 minutes, 40, God, I'm so sorry. The devil plays checkers. The way that the show starts with like, okay, so this is the church's basic understanding of good and evil, or this is what we think the church's basic understanding of good and evil is. How are we going to play with that? And I'm not quite sure yet how much the show is validating the church's understanding. You know what I mean? Ben was saying that like, this Catholic Church propaganda equates possession with insanity or blames all of the fucking evil in the world on social media, you know, because a lot of that is not quite developed in the first two episodes, which are the only ones I've seen. Also, I like, we already have an evil, intractable force that has possessed people and manipulates in them into doing great acts of societal harm it's fucking called capitalism yeah i thought you were gonna say the republican party but no and i was thought oh my god that's going on that's too evil oh my god that's just (laughs) i mean (laughs) would you be surprised if QAnon showed up in this series from lord of the rings had more nuance than the republican party yeah well they fucking say 4chan yeah I, I was going to say, like, what you were describing with the, the demon as far as, like, being Kristen's, like, literal demon on her shoulder and, and you know, manifestation of her guilt and stuff. That is very much what they do with uh, Leland and David is, like, mm-hmm. I was a little confused the first time it happens, but, like, often when David is in his room praying or thinking or whatever, Leland just shows up in the background and is... He's not actually there, but he is the devil on David's shoulder going through, you know, all of these things, vocalizing his negative thoughts. And you know, he's, he's doing a lot of self-talk as Leland. I mean, that was really interesting for me. Ultimately, where where this show kind of falls short for me is, is not necessarily its fault. It's just this procedural element of it is very slow for me, especially like the stuff that does interest me is some of the like developing supernatural stuff over the series. Oh yeah, and I want to know what the deal is with the sixty. Like the yeah. fuck up with them sixty. Very specific number so, to remember while you're having a near death experience. Let me just say that. Also, yeah, and, I've been playing. I grew up raising like playing Halo games, so I forgot that the Bible had numbers that aren't seven. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the grind of it and the sort of like let's introduce something that is supernatural oh it's not supernatural we we got you how are we gonna do it this time i, I referred to it to alicia as the anti-doctor who instead <laughs> of like everything being aliens everything's always bullshit 
Like, yeah, I mean, that is, I kind of think like what Doctor Who is to X-Files, like Lucifer is to this, where if X-Files and this are being like, oh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Then you got Lucifer who's like, I'm the devil. This is my devil fate. You can't kill me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think if Lucifer had spent the first like three seasons being like, is he or isn't he really the devil? I would have been like, oh, God, fuck this show. As it was, the procedural stuff was what killed me on Lucifer. Which does Lucifer lead to everyone so... being like, I can't believe Y'all... you lied to me about being the devil. And he and he no, gets to I go cannot... like, I didn't lie. You just didn't believe me. I cannot. We're not going to act like Lucifer did a great job with pacing, though, as far as. Oh, no. God, no. <laughs> God, no. God, no. Look, the fucking will they, won't they in that goddamn relationship it was terrible. Torturous. Yeah. It's more than a normal will they, why would they? Like, <laughs> she sucks. Like, there's, it's very rare that there's one of these shows where, like, the male lead is, like, attractive and fantastic and charismatic and great, and the female lead sucks in every possible way. So to, this one really captured that. Oh, yeah. It's not to like, quote, I'm not calling her unattractive or anything, but she is just, like, they she did is not plain have potato chips, man. To like, quote, she doesn't even have ridges. Sunny. This is not a will they, won't they. This is I know they won't, and I don't want them to. Yeah. Speaking of will they, won't they, I really don't like the forced sexuality of this demons immediately pouncing on tension between Dave Acosta and Kristen. Like, I feel like yeah, there's other things to who. Yeah. Like they're harping so on one that. even. I was so like, can you can you like... give that a little time to the yeah. I mean I mean it's there. I like it. they have chemistry. I mean, also like who, also, like, I don't know who would say, talk about it to their therapist after meeting this guy twice, but like, yes. If I met my culture, I would tell my not. therapist immediately. Yeah, no, like, like I would, I mean, I don't know if I would tell my therapist immediately, but if my culture showed up and asked me like, hey, can you, can you does... with me? I'd be like, sure. You of know, of course, it's not against the rules for priests to be hot. You know what? What does help me with just yeah. how quick they jump to that is between priest in training, living at the convent or a husband fucked off to climb mountains, leaving you to like raise four kids. I understand why both of these people are very repressed and horny. When do you think he- she got that doctorate? Like she used to climb mountains, too. Like they used to climb mountains together. Somewhere between the mountain climbing and four children. Yeah. Yeah. And she seems pretty young. Like it doesn't look like she got her degree, went mountain climbing, and then had kids. Maybe she has a doctorate in rock psychology. I mean, that would make sense. That would explain a lot. Why you would ask The Rock, do you like mechanics magazines? There were a couple of things that I definitely want to bring up in these uh, first three episodes. And it's how, at least so far, how the show has handled institutional bigotries and scandals and flaws in the Catholic Church. The first time the Catholic Church as an institution has scandals is even like hinted at comes from Leland, who is explicitly this, you know, this psychopath, this serpent in Eden, who everything he says. So right off the bat, the church's many, many incredibly real and incredibly heinous crimes. What the show chooses to use as the mouthpiece of that criticism is there like this person's an untrustworthy psychopath who but is isn't totally that, evil. Like, what the snake does in the Garden of Eden, like he just tells the truth. He's just like, like, yeah. what is this, like, what does the snake do other than, I mean, he's tempting, but like the snake literally just tells them like, hey, 
eat this tree, you're going to get some knowledge. And God doesn't want you to have that knowledge. Like, it's all true. Like, he's, yeah. he's not a liar. But in that kind of Gnostic gospel version of the uh, serpent of Eden, in that version, the serpent doesn't represent the devil. The serpent represents Jesus. And that's a whole different thing that needs to be unpacked because it also does come with a fair amount of anti-Semitism. Because the Gnostic Gospels portray the God of the Old Testament as the devil, which is like, therefore, they give themselves permission to dismiss the Torah and blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, I've never heard that. I But I was always yeah, I taught in church that, like, the devil doesn't have to lie to you to get you to do bad things. Oh, yeah, that's a, our this interpretation. This a oh. choice the show is making yeah, about well, who they are going to use to raise that very we, valid when we yeah when we when we talk about that version of the of lucifer so say we're talking about lucifer the light bringer who brings knowledge there's a interpretation of the book of genesis where the fall from grace is not so much the consequence of sin but the knowledge of responsibility it's a loss of innocence and once you know that your actions have consequences for others more than yourself, or even for yourself, you are bound by the earth. Now, this is not always seen as a sin for various interpretations, but it is a self-enforced thing. When we talk about the serpent telling the truth, that is a little bit more of an interpretation, like the Luciferian interpretation, that, that Lucifer is not so much an evil force, but a moral force. When we see the devil as somebody who is trying to tell us the truth or challenge us, there is usually some kind of gray area for us to interpret that character as not evil, but just a trickster. And that's where our trickster archetype comes in with Lucifer. They're just testing us, you know, taking us out of our usual paradigm. In this case, Leland is absolutely unabashedly evil. He says, I'm going to go around and do bad things because I like it. There's no gray area with him. This is not the devil's advocate kind of situation. This is. But he's literally the devil's advocate. But he's not. Because... But he is. That's yeah, his no, job. Yeah, he is literally advocating on behalf the, of the on devil. On behalf of the devil. Like he goes yes. and testifies. He is a card carrying member of like the devil's like posse. Devil's cool. Okay, yeah. okay. So I'm saying more like the devil's advocate. The devil has that. to sign his W-9 forms. Yeah. I'm talking about the devil's advocate and the devil's advocate. <laughs> Donna Reeves. Donna Reeves? Yes. Yeah. She's got a big ass. Yeah. And the devil in that Rock movie. Rock Pacino movie? I haven't seen no, it. I don't think, though, that telling the truth makes somebody not evil. Right. But- when you when you have a certain amount of information that challenges you rather than just to make you angry, then that's the difference. Between okay, explain that. that explain that one. Explain that a little to bit. Me, it's not okay. like my It's not even on the theological level. It's just like right. You're the saying of like, this show like this so show you're is, saying like this guy is like the only person who's going to point out that the church is bad is our bad guy. Like we're supposed to the guy we're supposed to be rooting against is the one who's going to point out that the church is bad. Yes, and I, I guess do what have I'm thinking is like we already know players. like the church is bad. That's like yeah. if Leland was like, you know, America Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, and you you know, the criticism is, well, only the bad guy is the one pointing out Thomas Jefferson owns slaves. I know, but I'm pretty sure saying that can get you fired now in a few states. Well, no. sure. 
I think. I know. I'm sorry. That one was too. That one was too real. I'm sorry. Well, there is one other instance of bringing up issues with the Catholic Church that I do want to point out. One, once we're done wrestling with this angel, yeah, Emily, I want you to. I want you to finish your point, Emily. Oh, yeah. No. So what I'm talking about is that there is a difference between the devil's advocate who is bringing up an inconvenient truth Mm. and a devil's advocate like the ones on Twitter (laughs) that are just trying to make you angry. Right. I guess Leland is the one that's just trying to make you angry. (laughs) Yeah, because when Mike Coulter punches him in the throat, Mm. he is satisfied. Yeah. And, you know, like a true devil in this case in this paradigm is one who is satisfied to make you angry yeah right it, who is evil he's not trying to be tricky he's trying to get you mad yeah a trickster yeah. figure is someone who challenges you like a court jester who makes jokes about the king having ever ever so many bastards right sure so, so it's like the devil as adversary versus the devil as evil incarnate Yes, a lot of our interpretations of the serpent in the Garden of Eden are in that adversary area, like Crowley from Good Omens. Sure. To him, like being a demon is a job, but he is interested in humans and he's interested in human beings having abilities and and being autonomous, right? Mm. So, you know, he's like, here's a choice. Instead of saying, don't do this, saying you could do this, but stuff will might happen, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's what the trickster figure does as an archetype is that it gives us a choice. Yeah. And, so you know, I, I got to say, I didn't grow up Catholic. I grew up kind of non-denominational, maybe more and more. I'm realizing that the church that I grew up in was kind of prosperity gospel-ish. Okay. Ooh. But. Worship the good Saint Ronnie Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> but we were always taught that, well, there are two main things. One is that if you're good, God will reward you financially. And it's not bad to have money, but that's neither here nor there. That's not really. Oh, that that's very different than yes. the religion that I was grew up in. Yeah, you, you know, you will be given your measure, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. Like that's the that's the line. But the thing that I'm interested in is the idea that Satan is the adversary like if you do wrong it is because you made the choice to do wrong not because evil forces have acted upon you and have forced you to yeah. do wrong. yeah so satan, satan is, is like, like the manager. adversary but he's working but he works like with god yeah so that you can choose and god wants you to choose the right way but the wrong way is always there, but it is through your t- trials and tribulations, through this choice making that you grow. That is what yeah. I don't know if Catholicism is different in that respect. Any Catholics here? Catholics, Catholics, Catholics? No, none of you. Okay. Nice. So uh, if you're Catholic, uh, write in, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> in, in my religion, we had, we had two main rules, which was follow all of our very long set of rules or God will fuck you over. And the second rule, eh, God's probably going to fuck you over anyway. Okay. So the other, after the <laughs> other moment I do want to talk about though, where they did bring up the criticisms of the Catholic church. And I thought this was both better, but in a way kind of more insidious or like subtle where it, it was, it was the scene. And I forget if it was the second or third episode, but it was Kristen and David 
And she's confronting him about him being in the precept. That means he ascribes to, you know, the homophobia and all, like the anti-choice and all of that. Doesn't and bother you all the sex scandals and stuff. The like sex that. scandals. Yeah. And he's able to be like, and again, this is now our main POV character bringing this up. So like, I do like that. But this show has also now, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, Jeremy, in your intro when you're like, hey, they figured out how to get like young, like progressive liberals to get interested in the Catholic Church. And I feel like that was part of it. And it's why I use the word propaganda, because <laughs> we know institutionally that homophobia, that misogyny, that anti-choice, that's not fucking going anywhere. Yeah. And yet the current Pope is. Yeah. Like that's baked in and not changing. And yet through three episodes, this show has set up David now as for our sense, the representative of the Catholic church. He's the stabler is what he is. Yeah. Yeah. Like he is the face of the church. And it's just saying like, oh, don't worry that the institution isn't changing. This, this guy's a good this, guy. You're allowed. Yeah, like you can get in. Like come in and like check him very out. Cute. He's, he's on your side. You raise it's a good okay. point because he that beard, you know, is so well trimmed. <laughs> and I, I will say, into that. having relatives who are Catholic, not not being Catholic myself, but like being acquainted enough with Catholicism to like know these things, that's a very Catholic point of view because like. Catholicism still sort of teaches that everything else is wrong. Like, this is the way Jesus literally established this church and told these dudes, hey, go out and do this. And so, like, yes, there may be stuff that's wrong with it. The Catholic Church is run by people and people are fallible. So, like, there's going to be issues with that. But, like, what is the alternative? Just not trying? You know, you can't found a different church. That's not okay. Like, that's not allowed. And I think the comparison to Stabler in, in Law and Order is somewhat valid of, like, what is he going to do? Go start a rival police force for New York? Like, you know. I would love to see that. Oh, my God. Elliot Stabler starts his own police force, like his own progressive police in New York. I would love that. Elliot Stabler community like the community security leader. Yeah, because I, I think with the church, it's not just an institution, though. I think it's like that is for Catholics. That is the way like so there is no other way except for through the church, through like Peter's church for better or for worse. Like, I think that makes sense for the motivations of this character is like he wants to do good things. He wants to fight evil. This is the way to do it. The other people who are, are part of this may not all be right and there may be bad things but the way to fix those bad things is to fix those bad things not to leave and go you know say fuck this place and start somewhere else whether or not that's right or true or anything that is i think very much the catholic point of view that does make a certain amount of sense and i suppose if you have that belief no amount of saying y'all i think that genie's been out of the bottle for a while is gonna fix things when your beef literally goes back to martin luther like the the one that King was named after. Yeah, um, yeah, like not the King Jr. variety. Yeah. yeah, so, but that's the thing too is I was looking at the show and I was thinking about the propaganda element of it and I was thinking like, okay, so we the have- propaganda. The propaganda. The propaganda, sure. Propaganda. Yeah, I came up with a term. That's good. So we have that. 
And I'm thinking, okay, so, all right, we have this show and it has this propaganda in it and it has this stuff going on. And, you know, it's like we say, highly problematic, but I'm here for this. I'm here for the writing. Again, I am. I'm going to keep watching this show. I quite enjoy the mythology, the characters and the procedural elements. I do. I do as well. But I was thinking, okay, so this is probably going to watch an episode after we wrap up tonight. Like compared to other procedurals, where's the level of propaganda and propaganda versus each other? Mm-hmm. And so, and then I, I turn to my roommate and I say, what do you think is worse, cops or the Vatican? And they, wow. we, we, we did decide the Vatican because they've been around longer. I mean, that's fair. Like, I mean, I think that's a fair point is that if we have truly not figured out how to do a non-propaganda procedural, is there more church propaganda than there is normally propaganda, and if i would accept a baseline level of propaganda, why am i not accepting that same baseline of church agenda yeah because i was thinking if if i'm gonna accept propaganda, you know if i love brooklyn 99 as much as i do and we all do yeah, yeah, we all do. And that's the thing is that like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, especially after 2020, the show went in a completely different direction. Absolutely. Yeah, I've never seen way. a show. I've never seen a show just like guilt itself out of existence before. Yeah. And but I still love Brooklyn Nine-Nine and we still watch cop shows. We still I oh, mean, yeah. the freaking X-Files, you know, it's the FBI. There's a lot of shit going on with the justice system in general. Right. So given how often they go against the federal government, it's kind of crazy that the FBI keeps getting them on the payroll. I'm stumped by the question of which is worse. Like, I've really been turning that over in my mind for the last, like, two minutes or so. Well, I mean, because if you think about, like, okay, the justice system funded by, like, the elite or, like, also enforcement funded. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's where I'm going. That's where my brain is going. Yeah, like, on a long enough timeline, those two things just become one, right? And if we're talking about the Vatican Church propaganda, all we have to do is look at an old history book and see BCAD, you know? I mean, if yeah. we're going to include the Vatican, you know, going out on crusades, we have to then include the military in the question of propaganda because, like, that's, I mean, what that's an counts, external what as cop. internal operation. Like, oh, were those guards chasing no down Aladdin yeah. through, the mar- through the Agrabah market? Like, were they cops? Mm, or do yeah. we only count it once we get to like your 18th century modern London coppers? Nah. I only that was count totally bobbies that it, have but... the little hat and everything. Nah. Um, the guys in Aladdin were totally cops. Totally cops. Absolutely cops. Riffraff, street rat. They, they were. Yeah. Oh, that's cop as fuck. Yeah. 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 So, but what I was talking about the X Files, where the X Files was actually addressed like all these different arms of, like, for the lack of a better term, shadow organizations. Thanks, QAnon, for making it all stupid and making everything that I talk about the X-Files sound like I'm crazy. The X-Files was fiction, okay? That's fiction. <laughs> but their chemistry was real. No, I mean, okay. It's so are Kim Trails. Just kidding. Listen, listen. I, and when I was the in middle school- The gay frogs are real, at least. All right, I I'm hope. not going to even tell my middle school story. We, we're, I want to have dinner. Okay. No, I'm sorry, Emily. All right. So the X-Files did address the corruption- in the government there's corruption in the government now the problem with the vatican church one of the plethora of problems with the vatican church is that yeah they have corruption but they also like on the the very fucking front 
of their pamphlets or whatever, their proverbial pamphlets. They're like, fuck gay people. Fuck anybody that isn't into Jesus. Wait, you know, you, where are these pamphlets? <laughs> it's, I mean, that, that's definitely the message I, a queer Jewish person, have gotten. I think I've seen it. Yeah, that's the pamphlet. It, but isn't yeah. that the pamphlet? It's, the, it's not the literal pamphlet. I'm talking Okay, all right, but, okay, all right. They're called I mean, chick tracks. Guys, they're true. They're those are not Catholic, right? No, those I are thought those Baptists. were oh, those, those are Baptists. Yeah, I mean, which... any business model that's give me money and you get to go to paradise. Now that's but Catholic, you, but you can't yeah. cash it in until after you die. If, if someone just told me that business model out of the blue, I'd be like, I'm not giving you money. I mean, but if it was Luke Cage, I'd listen to him sell it to Thank me. You, that, I yes. mean, the trim. Did you see the? If it's Luke, have Cage, you seen him in a hoodie? Yes, I've seen him in a hoodie. I've seen him in a turtleneck. I've seen him in exactly a... like that's the thing is that was one of the most brilliant choices of this show is to cast him as our stable. Can we just right? talk about like how he's so good? He's got he is wonderful in this, this show. boyish, charming face. Like it's, but he's got like a very manly, but like he just looks like when he smiles, he looks like he would give me a warm hug. Yeah. Know? His, I bet Mike Colt is a great hugger. I, oh he God, looks yeah. like oh, yeah. if I met him in person and I was like, can I have a hug? And it was a bad hug. I wouldn't believe in anything <laughs> ever again because also, okay. I would be just be destroyed. According to Wikipedia, bad, him and Viola hug. Davis are second cousins. Well, there you go. No, like he couldn't give a bad hug because like even if you like gave me a hand hug and did one of these or even if he did a hover hand on me, I'd be like. I don't give a shit. The presence. I don't give a shit. It's because he's it's him. And I guess you know, good job. Because if if anybody's gonna make me Catholic, it's him. Um, <laughs> but that's another he's thing. not gonna make me Catholic. But he could have me shouting for Jesus. All right. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> that's how you do it. I was building a similar joke over here, and you got yeah. Do it <laughs> okay. I was gonna start bringing it around to our questions here. I was gonna say I oh, think then I'm not ready. Oh. There was something before the questions. Okay, go ahead then. The other thing that I wanted to mention was talk about substance abuse or substance use. You know, one of the priests, they were like, I smell whiskey on his breath, you know, oh, this guy, he's an alcoholic. And at one point he said, I'm not sure God uses alcoholics for his miracles or whatever. Also, he engaged at a drug immediately after talking exactly. about Exactly. I feel yeah. like the alcoholic priest is almost like a stock trope. Exactly. Like, so I feel like I've like, seen like, right. tons of alcoholic priests. Right. Um, like, I feel like they say, like, I don't think God uses alcoholic priests to do miracles. I'm like, based on movies and TVs, I feel like God only uses alcoholic That's priests what for I'm, miracles. Yeah. Better an alcoholic than a pedophile. That's true. I have never done any hallucinogenic drugs. I don't plan to, but there's this whole thing about like David, you know, fervently praying. He's praying, he's running, he's like using. You talked about why not pick a different religion? Like, you want to go and do good things, you want to go be a priest. And one of his friends later brings that up like, why'd you pick this one? And he picked it because. He's so worried about backsliding into his former life. He wanted to pick the most stringent thing that he could think of to get involved in. Right. So he like literally lives at church. He doesn't even live in his own house because he's so worried about going back. I think they hinted at it. He goes to like uh, he runs past a nightclub and he can't really run away from it. And 
they're like, oh, you're the one that God talks to. And he's like, well, I haven't had any visions lately. So then he decides to do drugs so that he can have a vision. Is that like, is that a, is that a thing? I I mean, I mean, I as a writer, so. absolutely. Like you do shrooms so you can see God and write. There are better? a lot of people who drink and do drugs because they think it helps them be more creative. Like, but does it they feel stuck? I will I mean, say I have seen some demonic shit on shrooms. My attitude also, wasn't, I am truly seeing this fucking picture turn into demon nightmare skulls. Hmm. Hell must be real. I was watching him being like, yeah, these drugs fucking rule. Hmm, interesting. I mean, and, but they and, have numbers. I guess That's how you know worship... the demons. So <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, my God is drugs? <laughs> or my God, drugs. I would become a priest in the drug church. A lot of people use hallucinogenic drugs, especially like mushrooms and, and what I can't remember, mescaline yes, the, and stuff like the that. Reli- mm-hmm. The religious and spiritual connection to psychedelics is something that, look, I don't know how much history there is in Catholicism specifically, but it has a long, deep, rich history across a wide variety of cultures and religions. So do you think that makes it any more or less real? If somebody has it, because he seems to, he seems conflicted about it. Like if he knows that he can just do shrooms and talk to God or see these things that he is wanting to see and have this experience that he is wanting to have, why doesn't he just do that? And he seems like he's trying to avoid getting to it that way. I mean, it's the same with creativity, with writing, with art of like, you want to be able to do it normally, naturally, you know, in, in your normal state. I'm okay. Um, I'm like, okay doing it. I'm okay with however. That doesn't but you don't. Me. You don't want to have to do drugs or drink or whatever to feel. No, like I, I don't. I don't care to go full Hemingway with it. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, when it comes to using substances, you know, you don't have to have an addictive su- substance to be addicted to a particular condition. Sure. So I want to just put that out the window that, like, you know, Catholicism certainly a substance whether it be alcohol or hallucinogenic mushrooms or cocaine or molly or whatever, like that would, which we do want to say people typically don't get addicted to shrooms. Yeah. Right. Sure. But I think I'm just wondering, like if he had this life before, you know, this, they lost, but Leland mentions Julia and is like, Ooh, what would Julia think? And, you know, there's this implication that he had some sort of sordid past before he had this experience and then he decided to become part of the church. Which I want to see that because I'm three episodes in and I'm like, damn, there hasn't been a single Mike Coulter sex scene. <laughs> what is... Jessica <laughs> Jones, though, by this point in Jessica Jones. Yeah, well, what is it saying about the church then if he is just substituting this addiction for a past... Addi- you know what I'm saying? Like, if he... I, mean, I just feel like... I don't know. There's, I mean, there's that's right. Are said. you saying that religion is like maybe like an opiate for the masses? Is that what you're <laughs> implying? I mean, look, there's a re- look. I mean, hell, the religious roots of Alcoholics Anonymous. You do that twelve mm-hmm. step program. One of the twelve steps is accept God. Yeah, yeah. and a like, lot of Christian ideals are in the the yeah. like. All of the I mean, you hear it in prayers. stories out of yeah. prison all the time. I mean, I no, I think you're 100 percent right. I think it is totally substituting one addiction for another, just trying to choose, you know, 
I guess this idea that like if you have this personality trying to channel it into health into healthier means of mm-hmm. like you know instead of being addicted to binge eating I'm gonna get addicted to jogging jogging instead yeah, yeah. and yeah, is yeah. that actually my question is is that actually healthier and so I just wonder if in that little scene that they show of him like manically praying you know manically running like he's not just i'm gonna do a little prayer i'm gonna take a little jog and then i'm gonna come home and i'm gonna relax he's like he's like almost i think that depends on what i'm assuming at some point we'll get to see like his flashback episode or what he was like i mean if he was straight up like robbing grannies to pay for meth and then was like oh priesthood this is better i'm like yeah you know what all things considered this is the better alternative i would rather you pray all day than be robbing grandmas for meth money rather you Mm -hmm. pray all day than pray on grammys all day yeah right yeah i I, I think to that i just have to say like it depends on what the alternative to what we see is i mean it's absolutely healthier from a physical standpoint whether it's healthier from a mental standpoint is a different Mm -hmm. question yeah man if we get a flashback episode and he's just fucking robbing grannies left and right i want to be like fucking called it (laughs) well and i i am also interested because it's hard for me to say right now as you know i I don't know enough about his character to really say what is better for him flashback is when he was fighting crime in harlem yeah like if the drugs are like a relapse, then that's implicitly vilifying drugs, right? He wants to have a vision. Yeah. Like the vision yeah. is the important part. Um, I yeah. assume but it has he... something to do with thrill seeking. I mean, that he was in the war zones and I assume it was reckless. That's true. He thrill did seeking was yeah. the basis of this person. Again, I'm guessing Julia was some sort of partner in this journalism, like was his photographer or something of that degree. And he was reckless, chasing a bigger, you know, a bigger thrill, more danger, more money, what have you. And like, and that recklessness got her killed or something to that effect. It's interesting to me. I think there's a dynamic in with David's character generally that David just, he really wants to be part of something. Like he talks about that journey to becoming a priest, starting with seeing these guys, in the military seeing these marines who like were doing these good things and who were like a family unit you know the the group of them and like wanting to be part of something like that and how like the church and, and priesthood was sort of his so his he answer started to that. another crusade so he's a soldier in the lord's army now is that what you're saying i mean they i feel like this just pretty blatant that like he is a soldier in the war against evil yeah yeah and that's i mean one of god soldiers praise the lord and pass the ammunition if that's the right time to use that phrase and absolutely nothing terrible has ever resulted from somebody thinking they were god's chosen soldier that has never fueled any terrible things ever to completely change the topic i did want to talk about kristen's good taste and that she and she is reading in one of the scenes to her daughters about the Sicilian and the men in black, which means she's reading The Princess Bride, which is a good choice. Always. A what good is decision. she reading? She's reading The Princess Bride. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's the Sicilian and, doing the, and the men in black are talking. Yeah. Just is fantastic. OK, let's bring it around to our questions. I do actually want to say I feel like and we've talked about it a bit. The one of the things that this show hits really well is that it is pretty feminist. Mm-hmm. So far, as far as we know. 
At the very least, the Bouchard family is quite wonderful across three generations of women. Yeah. And I I think they're all sort of independent and interesting. You know, we we do also, you know, later get more female characters. As, As we talked about, they have, you know, an older woman as part of this cast who is vital and maybe a little evil, but also very virile and has her own shit going on. And is very, very sarcastic about having to watch these kids until, you know, nine at night or whatever it is that Kristen comes home. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not just a grandma who's happy to be there and whatever, you know, she's got her own shit going on. And then Kristen herself is a complex main character in a way that I feel like a lot of times female main characters and procedurals aren't allowed to be. That's um, true. I mean, again, it's a whole genre of person who is not cop teams up with murder detective or it's like fiction writer, you know, crime fiction writer teams up with NYPD detective. The devil teams up with LAPD murder detective. And I feel like the one instance where it was gender swapped was Bones. Bones doctor teams up with FBI. But in this case, you do. Have, so I feel like there's a bit of that, but. Also, the element of like, well, neither of them are cops, but you do still have Mike Coulter kind of as the cop character for being the one who works for the main organization sort of slash source of authority in this world. Yeah. So it is a little bit where she gets to be kind of the interesting outsider to the procedural. And Asif Manvi. <laughs> and Asif. Yeah. I, you know what? We didn't talk much about Asif Manvi, but he is a very welcome presence in this show i am I a big fan of character. him i yes. love yes. his character i really appreciate that he is a contrast to david not just in the religious sense but in the like not wanting to be part of things since like yeah david, and- he doesn't really want to be part of his family he doesn't want to be part of his family's religion he doesn't want to like he doesn't want to believe anything but he does yeah. like solving puzzles other spoilers he and Kristen's kids become pretty close and so Every scene with him and the girls is also my favorite. Like oh anytime he's hanging out. Uh, he would be a good babysitter. That checks out. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. I, I also love the way that he chooses to play Ben as sort of this like anytime something happens that he can't explain, he gets freaked out. And then he goes, no, I'm gonna, it, it's fucking bullshit. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Every time he sees it, he goes, what the fuck? And the only time he isn't able to overcome it and call it bullshit is, is when in the third one, the home speaker is is talking to his sister still after they've solved everything that should keep that from happening. And he grabs and goes and chucks it in the trash. Like It's yeah. like if X-Files, like, it. if it had been Mulder and Scully and other Scully, who's extra Scully. <laughs> <laughs> Mulder and Scully and Bob. Yeah. And then no matter what happens at the end of every episode, Bob just goes like, nah, fuck that. There's no goddamn aliens. And there's at some also point a, every episode, like he looks over at Scully and is like, this fucking guy, right? <laughs> there's also a Midsummer episode that is features him heavily that is pretty oh, entertaining. Is um, he the Florence Pugh character? Sort of. Yeah. Yay! Awesome mom being a flower dress. <laughs> no flower dress, but ah, what's everything the fucking else. Point? <laughs> yeah, I think he is also, I mean, between him and David, they're sort of the the centerpiece. And his piece sister of... is cool too. Yeah, I like I... the sister. Yes, we only yeah. get well, a little bit of what her I... here. Yes, the sister is much more of what I want to see. Which is, look, normally I would not care about representation of specific religious identities, but given the way this show puts not just mythology but organized religion so front and center, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I want to see more viewpoints from a diverse set of religious beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I I appreciate talking about from a the feminist perspective of this is that when he gets stuck and doesn't know what to do and can't figure something out, and he goes to his sister and is like, "Hey, w- w- what is this? You can figure this out. Like, what? You you're smarter than me." That um, I really did like. I did like that again. Yeah. The Muslim hijab wearing woman is still presented as like the smart, even tech savvier than the tech savvy one. I think you're right. I think this show is real good on giving us solid women characters, only one of which is sexually assaulted by a demon. Yeah. There is that. Yeah. There is that. Yeah. She's sexually assaulted by her own demon. Um, okay, what's your next question? How do we feel about the representation as far as race and social justice in this? Like they're certainly thinking about it. They're certainly aiming to do something about it. And I think in the characters is interesting. I think in the plot, especially in the second one, it's a little just like it's a little clumsy. Yeah. Phoenix and I were watching this and we were talking about the sort of, oh, it was racism the whole time. Oh, but racism is evil. Yeah. And racism is evil. Like, you know, I thought it was interesting that they brought that up. But then the girl who was in the photo with the angel still had a white savior. So we don't know what this white savior. We don't know that the angel actually saved her. For all we know, that's just a photo of being like, I'm a ghost and I'm bouncing off the wall. The girl specifically recounted a story where she was like, there was a hole in my feet and 60, 60, 60 specifically oh, that scene, came out. And that then scene another was a woman. Painful. Yeah, another woman took my hand and said, everything's going to be okay. That all felt very comic books tie-in to me. Like, we need mm-hmm. you to tell a story, but in somewhere in this, we need you to, like, have somebody have a dream where they see specifically 60 demons. And that's yeah. like, it's yeah. going to tie back into the thing that's happening this month. Yeah, we're relaunching Zoriel next year, so we need you to <laughs> subtly foreshadow that with some angel shit. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. DC will never relaunch Zoriel. I would like to see that character come back, but that character only exists because they wouldn't let Grant Morrison use Hawkman anyway. Alas. So how do we feel about, I guess, both Ben and David as as diverse characters, representations of people of non-white? Like I said, my feelings about this is that while it wasn't handled the best, I do appreciate it choosing to highlight institutional medical racism in episode two. And look, I get, I think a lot of it still remains to be seen, but I, you know, it does check out that kind of visible diversity of having like, you know, your main trio is a white woman, a black man and a Muslim man that, you know, yeah. at least that is diversity. A Muslim at the atheist. Ca- yeah, Muslim atheist. Like, at least that is solid diversity at the basic casting level yeah and i i feel like the intelligence of the watcher was relatively respected like that the white savior thing was the only thing that came up in terms of you know big bones to pick you know i think that was just a a whoa whoa um the the show does deal with racism and misogyny and homophobia and transphobia and all sorts of other isms as the episodes go on it deals with a lot of other things that it considers social evils so the question of what is evil it's like well we didn't find a like a demon possession but we did find racism so evil you know that kind of thing 
I do like that the evil in the show is not so much like a literal demon evil like the demon there was no demon possession it was somebody who was trying to use demons possession yeah excuse and i think that there's places to go with that and i think that that's that is an interesting angle playing up this idea that it's not literal demons from hell possessing you it's people being influenced to do things that are inside them except Episode three begins with, like, there are six known possession categories. Here they are in elaborate detail. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Which, I don't know if that's supposed to be based on the actual, like, what the Vatican defines as possession categories or what the show defines. Either way, you can do whatever the fuck you want. They're not real. Yeah. I mean, correct. I do love, like, categorization, though. I do love, like... And breaking down the, this is the different way people can be possessed. I know it's not a part of the question, but we didn't talk about the craziest fucking part of the show. And that's the previously gone segment, where it's just like diagonal cut flashback cards set against just this flowing milky background. I will say season three, George does the previously on as a fairy tale like storybook. Like that sounds fun. That sounds yeah. rad. They changed it up. Yeah, I'm into that. I like they that. They also changed the titles ever so slightly. And I don't remember if it's season two or season three, but there is a note that says, if you ki- if you click skip intro, you're going to be haunted. So, like, there's a little note that's at the bottom that's like, don't you skip these titles. Don't you dare do it. <laughs> that's pretty great. Other shows that that really needs to. <laughs> Jeremy, what's your last question? Um... We've talked actually quite a bit about how it does or doesn't deal with mental health. Uh, It doesn't really do much of anything with physical disability. It does seem like a good chunk of the plots are mental health or demon. We can't tell the difference. Mental health or demon or pretending it's mental health or demon. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that one's interesting. It Okay, so it does deal a little bit with class in sort of, especially what you get from Kristen. She's struggling to get by that's part of why she takes this job um you know after she gets dropped from the da's office she is a mom raising four kids but also raising four kids in a very nice house two bedroom house under a tree it's not a very nice house it's very nice inside Um, yeah well when yeah they decorated it pretty hard like the girls were busy cutting up it's a house in new york yeah, and it's like directly under the an elevated train. Man, student loans and four kids, like, yeah, she's an doing elevated, her best. An elevated train that's very loud outside, but you can never hear in internal scenes. Well, and I guess that leads to the one thing that it both does and doesn't deal with and doesn't do so well is the queer representation in this. No, no LGBTQIA plus main characters or characters at all in the first few episodes. I'm sure there are later, and the only sort of mention of gay people is sort of like, how can you be a priest in the Catholic Church? Don't they hate gay people? I feel like this might be another case, you know, they them, like, they slash them, where we're like, maybe they'd handle it well, but I'm kind of okay with them not handling it all for the time being. Yeah. Uh, so um, I guess... That leads us to the final question. Uh, do we recommend this? Do we think people should check this out? If you like procedurals, 
Yeah, if you and if you like a little a little tingle of fear, it's not. They they get a few jump scares in on you. There's a few creepy things that happen, but it's not like I don't know. It's not like Babadook levels of scary. So if you want a little scare and a little, you know, who done it? I would You're say horror in your horror in your procedural. Yeah. yeah, I would say that you should give it a chance. I'm going to uh, see how you like it. If you don't like it, I would understand why. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. I think for me, it's ultimately just, it's not for me. Like I have occasionally dipped in on watching an episode here and there with Alicia as you watch the whole series. And uh, it's just, just a pacing issue for me. Like mm-hmm. I, at this point, episodic and procedural shows are just not my jam. And the fact that I, you know, I appreciate the building of the background plot threads into a, you know, a meta arc, but it builds way too slow for me. <laughs> and it does have short seasons, but it does not answer all of the questions in those seasons. So, yeah, it can get it can move kind of slow. Yeah. If you're a fan of procedurals and you made your way, you know, through your prodigal sons and your Lucifers and you're looking for something to just like kind of scratch that itch, uh, which is exactly what it's doing for me, then, yeah, check it out if you're looking for a interesting new procedural. But, uh, you know, just have a critical I when watching it for sure absolutely now the question is uh what would we recommend to people i would highly recommend watching the good wife or the good fight because i really enjoyed both of those shows and it's from the same writers i think on on that same note i was going to say i I would recommend the good fight the good wife i like the little less because it is very like courtroom procedural yeah the good fight i appreciate because it got weird it, it got, got real, real weird. Um, and I they, think you really liked Andre Brower on that show as well. Yeah, they, they had a great cast of like just great actors they brought in over the last several seasons that like really like made it something that I, I was interested in continuing to watch in a way that procedurals don't usually hook me. Yeah, Carrie Preston, Mike Coulter, Wallace Shawn, not to mention Christine Baranski. They, because of the time it was going on, there's a whole arc about covid in which you know one of the characters is sick in the hospital and starts hallucinating who is he hallucinating frederick douglas yeah frederick douglas is talking to him (laughs) among other people the female characters are given agency and desire and and things like that and the main character does a lot of drugs and that's he's sort of asks a lot of good questions like what would you do if you found out that you're dad who was a civil rights icon was also a rapist like what 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 are you gonna do in that case really solid show so yeah that's also on paramount plus so check that out uh emily what did you have um i have a couple things one if you like supernatural procedurals or shows that have more questions than answer them watch twin peaks the other one is the prophecy Starring Christopher Walken. The first prophecy, actually, the second prophecy movie is decent, but the first one is really good. It's kind of like just the to the nth degree version of this show. And, you know, that includes campiness. And of course, Christopher Walken plays the angel Gabriel, and Vigo Mortensen plays the devil. So that's it. Just watch that and you'll see how it's related. I can't remember the name of the main character, but he is the same guy that played Casey Jones in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ben. I mean, I've been recommending it all night, but uh, yeah, fucking watch Lucifer. It's a 
fucking absolute blast of a procedural with lots of that good and gooey mythology. And it just gets better as it goes along, gets deeper into the mythology arcs and doesn't have to deal with being on Fox anymore after season three. Yeah. And it gets much it wilder gets once it gets that And Fox. if you like how handsome Mike Coulter is, you are definitely going to like how handsome Tom Ellis is. I mean, very different tastes. Yeah. Very different. But also watch Miranda handsome, then. But also very handsome. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, uh, Alicia, as our guest, can you let people know where they can find you online? You know, I've been trying to join some new apps, but nobody ever has any invite codes. So I guess you can find me on Twitter for the time being at Alicia Whitley. All right. Emily, what about you? Well, you can find me on megamoth.net. I'm also a megamoth on Patreon and mega underscore moth on Instagram and brand new megamoth on Blue Sky. I do have a list of people for my invite codes, but you know, if I get through them, hit me up. And uh, Ben, what about you? Yeah, well, I am still on Twitter because I haven't set up threads yet. And I can't get one of them fancy blue sky invitations. Why are we doing this? I don't want to be on social media. Why am I seeking out new ones? I don't know. Uh, Because I need the endorphin hit from being acknowledged. And now that I get most of my news from going to wonder what's up in the world today. Let me see what people are talking about on Twitter. Where else am I going to go for that? NPR. Yeah, so I guess again, Bencon Comics. I'm at Bencon Comics on Instagram. I guess soon to be Threads, and yeah, I don't know. Go to BenConComics.com. Sign up for my newsletter. I haven't started that yet either, but I'm going to try. Go awesome. for it. I and believe in yeah, you. Griffin is out now and comic shops. And L. Campbell wins their weekend is out in bookstores from Scholastic October 17th. So pre-order that now. Yes. As for me, I am at jrome 58 on Twitter and Instagram. I am now Jeremy Whitley at uh, Blue Sky, and I'm at jeremywhitley.com. And you can go read The Dog Night, which is out now, which I wrote, illustrated by Brie Indigo. Also, by the time this is coming out, you can probably go uh, read some of my new... My Little Pony story, The Unicorn of Odd, which is our My Little Pony adaptation of The Wizard of Oz. It's funny, I promise. <laughs> um, the, a lot of a lot of meta humor in that. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod, where we'd love to hear from you. And speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you'd rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. Give us five stars. That helps us uh, get recommended to new listeners. Thanks again, Alicia, for joining us, letting us uh, talk about your show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks, as always, to Emily and Ben for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified. <laughs>